time, but um, in case we do have a few visitors with us tonight, this is a general overview of the Bible by our brother Roger Campbell, who preaches for the Greens Lake Road congregation here. Uh, I appreciate Roger's mind, Roger's studying, uh, Roger's writing, and one thing about Roger, if you've never met him or don't know him that well, uh, he has done a lot of missionary work, including uh, spending several years in Malaysia and uh, I can't remember the, the Asian country, other Asian country he'd been in, but um, they'd done a lot of mission work. So I think he has a talent and a mind and even an eye, if you will, for writing things that are easily understandable, very simple terms. Uh, and so I mentioned to you that we had, uh, I'd let him know that we had had someone who was uh, baptized recently, and part of that was through our study of this book. We were thankful for that. But I told you too, he said that he and his wife had been studying with someone who had already been baptized. Uh, and been converted, but as they were beginning their Christian walk, they had begun to look at this. And so it's a great study as far as beginning at the very beginning, and we're working our way up all the way to where we are tonight, and that is Lesson 13, the Day of Judgment, or the Second Coming of Christ. Now, one more time, I'll interject here that uh, we will be looking then in about two weeks to begin a new study, and we've had at least one suggestion, a good one, that would be, think be beneficial. But as always, uh, if you've got anything you would be interested in, a book of the Bible or a particular topic or anything like that, we would gladly uh, make consideration and maybe prioritize between two or three things and, and try to get to all of it, God be willing. But um, if you've got a suggestion, then let us know in the next few days and, and we'll take a look at that. But to begin tonight... Um, I don't want to read this whole chapter, but in studying it and looking through it, and if you have had a chance, and, and maybe you don't before, but you kind of do in the week after the lesson, uh, I don't know much else other than to kind of to go sentence by sentence almost, because it just is so plain to understand exactly what we're talking about. The first couple of introductory paragraphs there talk about the fact that there have always been, uh, there have been some great days, of course, in the history of the world. When we think about God creating Adam and Eve, or simply the creation, the week of creation, then creating Adam and Eve, and the death of Jesus, the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2. I even turned it a little bit to, to ourselves. Think about important days in your life, certainly your birth, obviously, that would put us here on this earth, but then we think about uh, the most important thing we can do here on this earth, maybe the day that you were baptized and make that commitment. Think about marriage, that kind of commitment, the second greatest thing in a way that we can do here on this earth after becoming a Christian is to find someone and to be, be married, how wonderful and important that is. And so all these are very important days, but he makes the point that the New Testament teaches that in the future there will be another one-of-a-kind event. And I thought that was actually kind of funny in the sense that we're talking about something that has already happened of Christ coming the second time. Now, it's not the same way, and we're going to get into that in a moment, but certainly uh, it is the second time, Christ's second coming. But when we think about the day of judgment, and in particular that second day of coming, then it is going to be a one-of-a-kind event like none other. will grab the attention of mankind like nothing ever has or ever will before that time. And then Brother Roger goes on to list several things in that second paragraph on page 74, uh, several different phrases or terms from Peter, John, Matthew, even Paul in the letter to the Thessalonians, of different ways that it's described that these words are used to uh, describe this day of judgment. Now, if you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, because the other thing I wanted to point out as we begin here, 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4, really if you're talking about the day of judgment, the second coming of Christ, when you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it's verses 13 through 17 or 18. But we'll skip over some of that for now. We'll come back to it through this study. But look at verse 18 that I think is very interesting. 1 Thessalonians 4, 18. Therefore, what came before this section, those verses already mentioned, but because of what was said before, therefore, comfort one another with these words. I'm afraid that, that often to the world, the day of judgment is something that is to be avoided or is scary for most people. And so it's something that we don't want to talk about. Certainly we are attached somewhat to this life. We like our lives most of the time. We like those that we, we love and parts of our family and maybe it's our job or, or what we do for our leisure activities, but we enjoy this life. So we feel attached to it. We don't necessarily just want to leave it. And so then to think about the end of the world in the sense or the second coming, the day of judgment, we don't want, we don't want to think about that. But it's interesting that when Paul writes to those in, in 1 Thessalonians 4 here, he ends that section with, because of what we've talked about, Christ's second coming, you need to comfort one another with these words. We don't often do that. We don't often think about it that way. It's interesting through 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, we don't have time tonight to do it, but all, all of the chapters, five chapters of 1 Thessalonians, three chapters, all eight chapters touch on the second coming of Christ at some point. And so in these letters, Paul is emphasizing the importance of this day. And so it certainly it would behoove us in tonight and God be willing, maybe even next week to come back and, and finish up and to think about uh, what this day is going to be like and what will occur. And so that's kind of what we're going to look at. The first thing that he mentions there is that Jesus is coming again. If you have your Bible, you might turn to John chapter 14. One of the verses is listed there, but when you think about the context, we know that Jesus is uh, certainly near the end of his life, nearer than he had ever been there. And if you on your Bible, of course, some of you may have it on an electronic device, which is perfectly fine, but, but in your Bible, it may just be a page or two till you get over to chapter 18 and there's the betrayal and arrest. We get over into chapter 19 and, um, and all that takes place with, with Jesus' death. We're not far from it. And so in chapter 13, he has just washed the disciples' feet. There's that great moment where he shows what uh, servanthood is and talks to them about that. And then it leads over into chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And then verse 4, and where I go you know, and the way you know, which sets up Thomas perfectly. I don't, I don't want to just talk about this passage, but it, it sets up Thomas perfectly for what comes next and, and him beginning to earn that nickname a little bit when he kind of doubts or questions, says, you know, we don't know. And of course, in verse 6, Jesus makes the great statement there that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus once told his apostles that he was going to come again. And so not only that, but you don't have to go very far in your Bible to Acts chapter 1, just a few pages, to Acts chapter 1 in the ascension of Jesus. And notice that when this takes place, that there are two messengers who appear, two men stood by them in white apparel, Acts chapter 1 and verse 10. And in verse 11, they say, they say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? 
This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So their message is, is that Jesus is coming back. And Brother Roger quotes from Hebrews chapter 9 there in that paragraph. But time and time again, the Bible promotes this idea, teaches that Christ is coming back. He's going to return. And as those men say there in verse 10 and 11, in bodily form, in visible form, not invisible, in Visible. Let me get that right. You sat too fast together. But in visible form, they can see it. You know, this is the way he's going to return, the way that he was taken up that they had just seen him go. And so he's going to be coming again. And if you've not read this chapter yet, I appreciate the way that Roger goes through and sort of makes the statement, such as the title of that paragraph, Jesus is coming again, gives the paragraph to, to give the biblical basis and kind of settles the matter. Is it, as we've said for the last few weeks, if you're wanting to study the Bible with someone, this is probably not the best place to begin. We talked about it on Sunday morning, but why we don't use instruments in our worship is probably not the best place to begin, although that is certainly the direction that some folks will try to steer you towards. But this is, even though it is matter of fact, and you can open up to this book if you keep it at home or in your library or, or the pages of the New Testament, the Bible, and think about it, it's still going to be something that lots of folks have confusion about. But I hope that you'll appreciate, uh, even as I do, that this, this chapter makes it pretty plain and, of course, uses the Scripture to point that out. So uh, it can be encouraging for us to have it laid out in that format that we can be reminded, and then certainly, as always, we can share that with others. Any comments or questions there so far? Charles? Sure. Um, what uh, Charles said for the benefit of those who couldn't hear him and certainly those who are watching online was the idea that the Bible runs counterculture to what most of the world teaches and a lot of denominations teach in regards to the second coming or things like you hear words like the rapture, things like that. Uh, you can go to many bookstores and find lots and lots of books that will be misleading. And uh, when it comes to that, I'll, I'll inter, interject here as well. We have a problem from time to time, even with the book of Revelation. We are kind of afraid of that. We're afraid and unsure how to answer. And so we can find ourselves in, in, on uneven ground in our own mind. And so that's certainly why a study like this can be beneficial to have in your hands and to study and to learn. But then I would challenge you. I mean, I always try to challenge you, but challenge you as you go forward in your life. If you're growing and maturing in your faith, then you're going to take things like some of the books that we could offer and suggest and, and things on Revelation and things like that and try to understand. Again, that's not necessarily the first place you want to go, but it is helpful because think about someone who maybe becomes a Christian later in life. They're going to have lots of questions. They're going to have lots of things they've heard before, and we need to be able to study with them or even sit down with them and one of our elders or them and the preacher or somebody and have this discussion. I'm not saying avoid it but altogether, but maybe it's not the best place to begin. But as Charles is making the great point there, um, it's like a lot of the things we mentioned in the lesson Sunday morning, kind of jokingly about the family feud and, and, and what the things are that, that people think of. 
um, when they think about a person who says, I'm a member of the Church of Christ. But that's one as well. You're going to have a lot of things that, that don't connect when you try to sit down and talk with someone about something like the rapture or, or some of those words that are used. So um, anyways, yeah, that's a, kind of a whole other study too. But Carl? As far as our body, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So um, as we think about um, Jesus coming again, the second thing that's mentioned there on the bottom of page 74 is actually should be very comforting to us. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's something that some people may want to disagree with, but it should be very comforting to us. Jesus is the judge. Jesus the judge. When he came into the world the first time, he took on the form of a human. He came to be the Savior. He tasted death. Lots of other phrases we use, seek and save the lost, um, things like that, that, that the uh, Bible mentions that that was the purpose of Jesus coming. But when he comes again, it will not be to pour out his blood to redeem us from sin, but he will come to judge all men. And so there's a couple of passages. One is in John 5 that's listed there, John 5 and verse 22. There are a couple of places there in John 5 that Jesus talks about uh, judgment and judging. John 5, 22, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. The second reference there is in Acts chapter 17, as Paul preaches that great sermon uh, at the Areopagus on Mars Hill. He preaches this sermon, and as a part of that, verse number 31, we know verse 30, God... Uh, now God commands all men everywhere to repent, but 31 follows it up there because, why does God ask, you know, command all men to repent? Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. And he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So again, as Brother Roger says on the bottom, excuse me, the top of page 75, the end of that paragraph, the matter is settled that on the day of judgment it will be the resurrected Christ that will serve as judge. You know, we joke about it, not really jokingly, but kind of facetiously from time to time, that that is the most debated verse in the Bible, Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you be not judged. And people like to say, you can't judge me. And of course, ultimately the answer is, I'm not. I'm not the judge. I'm not going to be the judge. I have the, the words which will judge you and judge me, by the way. I'm not trying to skirt that I'm, I'm going to get out of it or anybody is. It'll judge me as well. Uh, but I have the words that we can go by. And so it's kind of comforting. I'm, I'm thankful. You know, when we start trying to judge people and judge things and make judgments sometimes, it gets a little sticky in our lives. Because, you know, there's somebody over here we don't care much for, and we'll, we'll, we'll judge them. But when our family member does the same thing they were doing, well, all of a sudden we start kind of having maybe a little bit of problems with, judge, with judging. Because they're our family. It's a little natural from time to time for us to do that. But that means we're not, we're not partial, or we are partial. We're not impartial. That's a problem. I'm not the judge, and I'm thankful for that. Thankful that we have Christ, the resurrected Christ, who will serve as that judge. And that takes it all off of us, in a sense. Um, we're only pointing back towards him and towards his word, and that, of course, is the standard, and we'll get into that in just a few moments. But that makes it a little easier on us. I don't know it all. Our elders don't know it all. We can only go by the Bible, and that's what we're striving to do. Uh, but we're thankful that there is someone who is better than us at it, that doesn't have that kind of problem with being uh, partial to someone that we love or care about or someone that we know. 
Instead, Jesus is going to be the one to be the judge. So in connection on page 75, he will judge all people. No one will escape the judgment of that great day. That is, no, that is one appointment that no person can avoid. Nobody will be able to cancel it, postpone it, or run away from it. And we've said, uh, I always refer back to my father-in-law who said a lot in his sermons, you know, it's one of two choices. You can't be both. You can't be neither. You can't postpone. It's going to be one or the other. And that is a scary proposition, especially when it comes to that moment, and especially when sometimes we try to straddle the fence or we try to live a life that is opposite of the way that God would have us to live. And then we find ourselves in trouble and worried about that moment. But it's interesting to consider that no one will escape it because many people here on this earth, they're able to avoid punishment sometimes, you know? Uh, nice guys finish last. Why is that? Well, that's because sometimes the bad guy gets away with it. And we see that, and that's frustrating to us. We want, we want punishment right now. We want it right then. He shouldn't be able to get away with that, or, or that person shouldn't get the promotion that I want. And we struggle with that because we see that judgment or punishment may be delayed. We all get away with something from time to time. Certainly the folks who are living in an evil manner or, or sinful manner do as well. But the point is, is they're not going to be able to escape it forever. That on the day of judgment, then every person will be subject in this sense. Jesus will judge all people. And so there's a reference there to Romans chapter 14 and verses 10 through 12. And that's a reminder. I've been teaching Philippians there at Greens Lake Road on the last few Monday nights. And Monday night, we actually talked about Philippians chapter 2 where Paul uses the phrase, and he actually quotes from, kind of quotes from Romans 14, uses the same quotation from Isaiah. It's actually from Isaiah chapter 45. But in Romans 14 in Isaiah, uh, the book says, the Bible says, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. But when you go over to Philippians 2, verses 6 through 11, specifically verse 10, Paul says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess. And I think it's just interesting. It's a reminder to the world and a reminder to us that at some point, and specifically right now, there's a choice. All right, There's the idea that on that day, everyone shall, but right now we have a choice to bow the knee to Christ. We think of bowing the knee in a sense of reverence, in a, a sense of obedience, submission. We have an opportunity to bow the knee to Christ right now. But the point is, is that there's going to come a day, and that's what we're talking about now, where it's not shall, but it should. It's absolutely going to happen, and we don't have a choice anymore. The world won't have a choice anymore. And so it's interesting to consider that we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 10. And that, yes, we have choice. The world has choice as long as we have breath in our lungs. But there will come a time when there will be no more choices. There will not be a chance. And that is this day that we're talking about, the day of judgment, the second coming of Christ. And so the Lord will be there on that day, and he will be joined by all humanity. And everyone that has ever lived will be there. It's quite a, a concept to try to ponder that idea that everyone who ever, have ever who have ever lived, will be there. And so we need to be prepared. And all people need to be prepared, but certainly a majority of folks aren't going to be. They, they haven't lived that way. They're not going to live that way. I mean, it's something, something really for us to kind of ponder. 
What comments or questions you got? Anything there? What was that, Buford? Take a big space. I know. I mean, something we can't even fathom, kind of, right? Bob? Brian, you want to take that question? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I always call him Brian when I want to give him a hard time. No, I mean, I think if they're remembered no more, they're remembered no more in that sense, right? I mean, that's, what, that's the idea behind that. Sure. Keep on walking in the light. The blood of Christ continually cleanses. That, I think that is the idea. And we'll go down all kinds of rabbit holes here if we're not careful. But it's kind of the idea, I think, in a sense, Bob, maybe what you're referring a little bit is the idea of the deathbed confession. You know, people want to ask that question all the time. What if I die on the way to be baptized? You know, what if, what if, what if, what if? It's why we're not the judge, ultimately. I would, I would uh, my initial reaction to that, I don't know if I've ever been asked that question exactly that way, but is to say if God says he remembers them no more, he remembers them no more. But if we're in an incorrect position, if we're not living a faithful life on that day, then it will not be just because of everything we've done before that, but certainly we have not, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be righteous. That's something else we may get into in here in a minute, I think, but uh, that it's going to be righteous judgment. You know, it's going to be done right. That's why we're thankful that Jesus is the judge, not me. Because, yeah, I think when we talk about forgetting, I mean, you know, I have a hard time forgetting sometimes maybe when somebody wronged me. I tell them I forgive them. And I still kind of remember that. But God's not like, you know, me in that way. I'm not like God in that way. Brian? Mm hmm. Uh, for those of you who, uh, most of you know Brian, of course, but, but Brian's work as an EMT, I mean, he's been there at times in unfortunate situations, and, and, and others may have it of certain folks where you're at the end of someone's life, and, and they're having that moment, if they even have time, quite often they don't have time to consider that, their life, but um, yeah, there's a, a perfect judge who judge righteously, and we don't have to worry about that. All we can do is do our best, and all we can do is encourage others with verses like this to do their best, and uh, 
Certainly, as we have talked about in previous classes, we can make a judgment in a sense. We can look at someone and see if they're trying, if they're you know, doing what they should do. But, but yeah, it comes down to, um, uh, to what God, uh, what Jesus is going to judge there. Bob? You're talking about First John 1, right? First John 1, chapters 1 and 2. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, and that's what Brian was kind of saying there, how important that verse can be and should be to us. And I, I preached a lesson, of course, it's been a year or so more now, probably a little bit uh, like one. Don Blackwell has one, if you ever heard his, it's called Blessed Assurance. But, but so many times we'll live life afraid and scared and wondering and worried about our status. And, and 1 John 1 is, is not that, it's the opposite of that, that we can take comfort. And that's what Bob is saying, it's a comforting verse, that's what Brian was saying, and I agree. Whether you mark it in your Bible or whatever, remember it and, and take comfort in it. Charles? I heard a lesson from, I think it's Diane Wood, an old pioneer preacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's entitled, Here's Your Solution. And he said, he made the analogy that stuck with me is that, you know, when we're walking in the light, as he is in the light, and his blood continually cleanses us, he said, when, when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, he sees the blood of Christ. Yes. Because we're, you know, we're covered in that blood and we're walking according to, we're, we're basically we're out of the sinning business. That doesn't mean we're not going to sin anymore, but it doesn't mean we make a habit or a practice. Yeah. Just a second, Carl, but for those watching online or others that, uh, Charles is making the point of a lesson heard by Guy in Woods about uh, the security of the believer, which I want to come back to in just a minute. But um, God doesn't just look at us and see our sin. That's the way we treat him is we treat our, our own children and family sometimes. We look at somebody and we may see their shortcomings. But God doesn't look at us that way. Instead, he's looking at us, you know. And I, what did you say there? The uh, I'm out of the business of sinning, kind of. That's the idea. You know, it's not that I'm not going to never sin again, but I'm out of the business, the lifestyle of sinning. And that's, that's part of the idea here, too. Carl? Micah chapter 7, is that right? Micah 7, yeah. 18, 19, yeah, it talks about casting them into the sea. Another one of the great images there and uh, of that idea of our sin being behind us and forgotten, absolutely, casting the depth of the sea. Uh, what I was going to say about what Charles said there, the idea of the security of the, the believer, um, this is another one of those cases, I think, often for Christians, if we're not careful, uh, when we hear that phrase, the security, we think of things like Catholicism and that idea, and so what we do then is we say, well, I'm going to put that over here, and I'm supposed to be as far away as I can from this idea of the security of the believer, which is not the truth. Now, there's, that's usually used as the idea of once saved, always saved, and that is absolutely foreign to Scripture, New Testament Scripture in the Bible. But to f- remove ourselves from being secure is not the idea of First John 1 and other things. Because of our faith, we can understand the hope, the grace, and the mercy that, that God has for us through Christ. 
Yeah, God's grace and mercy, how, how great it is. So, all right, I've let you guys run us around too much here. All right, let's, let's move on a little bit. It's all y'all's fault, never mind. Uh, so on page 75, now I, I told you we'd take a couple weeks here, so we're not in any hurry, but um, just to move on a little bit, but it's all similar because when we think about what's the second point, or I don't know which one we're on fully there, but on page 75, not only will Jesus judge all people, but Jesus will judge us as individual. So he mentions Matthew 25, 32, that he'll taught that all nations will be gathered before him. And so that's true, and that's back to Buford's point. That's got to be a pretty big space. All nations, all tribes, all families will appear before God's Son in judgment. The New Testament makes it plain that although that's the case, that the judgment will also be individual in nature. So again, we're torn as humans in many ways. We're thankful for that. That's awesome. I don't want to have to answer for somebody else. And then other times when we love our kids or we love our parents or we love others, boy, I sure wish I could do enough good to help somebody else out. And we maybe wish that that was the case. And it kind of goes both ways. So we become torn. But the point is, the Bible is not torn. It doesn't matter what you want or what you like or who you might want to stand up for or who you're thankful to not have to stand up for. It doesn't matter. Uh, As Roger says there, as much as they may want to try, no person will be able to stand in the place of others to receive the judgment that they ought to receive. That it is a fact from, once again, we already looked at Romans 14, 12. Every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Uh, that's just the, the way it is. And, um, you know, we try real hard in our lives to love our family and to take care of them, to want what's best for them, try to teach our kids the truth, hope that our other relatives are o- obedient and following God's will. Um, but the fact of the matter is, almost all of us still have family members and those that we love who, who choose to, do, to not do what is right. And that's that, that torn feeling as a human being because we want all people to go to heaven. Uh, we sure do. We want all people in a sense, um, but, and certainly all of our loved ones, but that's just simply not the case. And so when we think about Jesus being the judge, judging all people, and Jesus being the judge who judges all people individually, that's kind of some important foundation there to begin with. So jumping in. Yeah, we started talking about other doctrines. He mentioned original sin, but there are other things that, we, you know, we've kind of talked about a few of those tonight, but uh, that can be refuted with some of these verses. And yeah, we're, um, we answer for ourselves. Jerry, were you raising your hand or Heath? Was somebody over here? Sorry. I was trying to read Brian's mask. Brian take his mask on and off as he's ready to comment, so I thought I saw another hand. But uh, anyways, um, the 2020. We're thankful to ha- have him in that position, absolutely, at, the, at this time. And it's interesting to consider that he serves in that, that place or that role now, but will certainly also serve as judge on this day of judgment and the second coming of Christ. So in connection, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, not only are we thankful that Jesus is the judge in a sense, 
But then secondly, on the bottom of page 75 there, we're thankful that there is a standard, and if certainly as well, that we can know it. It was Acts 17, 31. I mentioned it a minute ago. God has determined that the judgment will be done in righteousness. Not according to the Saudi elders, not according to the Saudi preacher, not according to any other elders or preacher, but according to righteousness and the righteousness of God according to his word. And the, it even mentions there Romans 2.2 2, that it is written that the judgment of God is according to truth. And so, you know, it doesn't take the emotion out. I kind of keep referring to that. It doesn't take the emotion out that we feel with our children and our family members who we love dearly, whom we love very much, and we want the best for them. It doesn't take that hurt and emotion when we worry and we're scared and, and nervous for them. But at the same time, in a lot of ways, that emotion, that those kinds of things will be gone. Um, you know, when we judge here upon this earth, you think about, um, you know, any trials that you might have watched and, and where it's a sad situation, and there's emotion involved, and sometimes emotional decisions can be made, and somebody might disagree with that emotional decision, but this won't be that way um, when we think about what will be judged by and even who in this sense with Jesus. Jerry? <laughs> Hold on, what time you got? Oh, somebody ring the bell. Now, now, go ahead. Hebrews 13, 17, all right. <laughs> yes, that's off topic. We're not going to talk about it. Uh, if you can't hear Jerry, and again, for those watching online possibly or watching later, uh, he mentioned Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Uh, Jerry, if you want to start talking about elders, we will be here uh, the rest of the night and spend our time on that. It's, I know, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. No, I'm kidding when I say that, but, but I just would emphasize that we, you know, we talked about it a few weeks ago in a lesson, but because of the important nature of it, I, I could, I could talk about it all night because it seems increasingly and certainly in this year with so many tough decisions to be made, the importance uh, of elders. And um, I also think though that a part of that maybe is the idea that oftentimes in human terms, we think of elders as, you know, the bookkeepers or the light changers or, you know, toilet fixers or whatever, they get bogged down in the tasks that need to be done to keep a building running and a, a congregation running, but that's not what they're going to give account for, is how many the toilets were working or whatever, they're going to give an account for the way they watched over the souls, and we lose, we lose sight of that sometimes, we lose track of that, I'm afraid, and we depend upon our elders for so much outside of the spiritual role, um, and so I guess in some way, I don't know that I can answer that exactly, but I do think when you take on that role, and not just you, even though you serve as one currently, but any, any man who would take on that role, there's a, a responsibility and, and you know what that means exactly, or if it's a percentage or whatever, obviously we can't answer that. But, um, but yeah, you know, you're going to have to give an account for the way they watched over the, the congregation, and specifically the souls. Go ahead. Where are you?
Well, similar in the way that I can't answer for you, I don't think that God's going to say, well, you know, that, that just because you, you know, you only talked to me three times instead of 20 times about my soul if I was being, you know, if I was unfaithful. That's, I don't, I, you know, we can't say that. That's why God is the judge, Jesus is the judge, and going to judge righteously. There's, we can't, we don't read the percentage. You know, how many times did you talk to him or her about that? Um, you know, it's not there, but there's still that, that responsibility. Buford? Yes. Okay, Buford's done talking now. Brian, going on to you. So I think we'll come to that. I really do. I think we'll come. I think we'll come to that. But maybe maybe next week. Yeah, <laughs> with the way we're going through this lesson so far. Don't you forget, okay, <laughs> Brian. Sure. That's a good point. Yeah, so hold on there, I just let me repeat there, but he's saying, you know, the elder would be judged for the elder's work, not in a similar way that I said, you, if, if I was living sinfully, you know, did you come to me three times and talk to me about it, or 20 times? Well, you know, if you're coming and talking to me about it, there's not a set number, but what action, you know, will you take responsibility for that you're doing, you know, that you're doing that as opposed to just, you know, letting people uh, go, but at some point, we know the biblical principle of you can't, hold somebody under the water, you know, at some point they've got to make their own decision. I think that's a very good way of saying it. Are you raising your hand? I was just going to say that I think it shows the gravity. Absolutely. Yes. It's a two-part, I mean, it's a two-way street there in that sense. And uh, Charles mentioned the gravity of that situation and just the responsibility, the gravity of that responsibility. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. Sure. Yeah. They need to want to guide and lead. Yeah. Yeah, and as I think we're saying, it's a sober reminder that 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 should be the that should be the focus in some. Take it seriously as the role of an elder. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, we can't we're not dragging folks down and all that. So, um, Buford was saying, in case you couldn't hear him, there as I cut him off in a not nice manner, Buford, I'm sorry. Uh, but that he was asking about 1 Thessalonians 4 there that we skipped over earlier. And I think we will come to it next week. But the idea of uh, being called to meet in the air and when. Uh, when judgment will be, which is what we will probably pick up with next week there on page 76. So, um, so yeah, I was giving him a hard time, but we will kind of come back to that uh, particular idea. So, you, Jerry said you had a comment. Is that? Okay. Yeah. And, and I don't think I, for one, uh, do it as much as I should. Yeah. You know, because you can hear it in both the voices at the times. They, they worry about what they do. They worry about everything they do for us. It's not just the answer. It's Charles. Yes. Charles, yeah. 
Yeah. More than we give them sometimes. I, I agree. They got to have something to work with. They got to have something to work with. Me or you or both, both of us. <laughs> um, Jerry will tell you, and all of our elders got a copy a couple of years ago or so, but probably the most. Uh, aptly titled book in all of history was one written for elders entitled Awake at Night. Uh, and there may be no better title for a book about elders than that because most of, you, most of them will tell you that if they're trying, and which ours certainly are, and not, not to not them, but, but, and most are probably, but they're going to be awake at night worrying about these kinds of things. And appreciate William's comments there that certainly uh, sometimes we forget about that. Um, it's easy, when the, certainly when the decision goes against us, and our thought, pre- uh, our thought process, or what we think should happen, to forget that. Um, but yeah, there's a serious responsibility there, and, and we need to consider, consider that. So, uh, And even then, as we were saying, um, with the standard here, just to kind of come back to that, we've just got a couple minutes left here, um, that it's not the elder's word even necessarily. They, they have the great responsibility of trying to hold true to the word of God and to promote that. And very often we will not like them coming to us if we're wrong and amiss in our, amiss in our life. We'll not want them to tell us we're wrong, but that's certainly what we're talking about here. They have a responsibility to, to confront us and maybe tell us that we need to make a change if they can see we're doing something wrong. And that's hard because we don't want to hear what they have to say um, sometimes, especially when we're in the wrong. But, um, you know, it is the standard, is the Word of God that's guiding us, guiding them and we can be thankful um, for that. I'll, I'll include, you know, in somewhat connection, and that's the last part of this paragraph on page 76, but mentioned, uh, um, you know, the Old Testament era. You know, we sometimes say we're thankful not to live under th- that set of laws uh, and those things that they had to do, and living under the New Testament and thinking about the standard that Christ has given for us. It's still, still a tall task, a great um, and powerful way to, to consider these things and to live that way. But hopefully we all are encouraging ourselves as we get ready for that. And so as we kind of conclude this for tonight and think about next week, we'll come back and it talks about when, what manner, what else. And then um, even as we're about to sing in a few moments and extend the invitation, we're going to encourage you. Are you ready for the day of judgment? That's the question. Um, Don't let it scare you in that sense, but let it encourage us to do what's right um, all throughout our lives until uh, um, our time either comes to an end or, or the Lord's return. So... Uh, if you got your books, you can bring those back because we will try to finish that up next week and we'll move on after that. So appreciate all the good comments and questions tonight.